0: Pastor Xavier Reese says getting the most out of life comes from consulting the giver of life. You know, it's like you buy a
1: car from a dealer and it's a Toyota. You don't go to the Chevy dealer to fix it. And if God has created man, He's created woman, He's created life, then He's the one that knows how to get the most out of life. And we acknowledge the Lordship of Christ. We acknowledge that He rules our life, that He calls the shots, because He knows what you have to do to get the most out of life.
0: Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. When it comes to the sexual freedom indulged in by our culture being so commonplace, adhering to the Bible's command for sex enjoyed only within the institution of marriage, not only seems out of step with society, but a whole separate way of thinking. Well, Pastor Xavier says that defines what it means to be holy. The simple truth is our call to holiness means to be set apart, i.e. set apart from sexual immorality. Let's join him now in the book of First Thessalonians for a study titled Real and Lasting Consequences of Sexual Sin. First
1: Thessalonians chapter 4 from verse 6 to verse 8. The call to sexual purity is an absolute call to every person in Christ regardless of your past regardless of your culture regardless of your age or sex if you're a christian then god calls you to sexual purity if you're single to abstain if you're married that you have sex only with your mate it's very clear now we've seen that the foundation for sexual purity is based upon your commitment to grow in the word that you have received from God your commitment to please God and also your commitment knowing that the instruction is from God and so tonight we want to look at the final study for sexual purity and we want to examine the three reasons that Paul gives to us in verses 6b down to verse 8 and then finish up by looking at some real and lasting consequences of sexual sin that are very obvious in our day. Let me read the text for you. I'm going to pick it up from all of verse 6 that no one should take advantage of and defraud his brother in this matter, speaking about sexual sin, because the Lord is the avenger of all such as we also forewarned you and testified. For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. Therefore, he who rejects this does not reject man, but God, who has given, or also given us, His Holy Spirit. Three very clear reasons that Paul gives us here why we are to be sexually pure. The first one is found there in the remainder of verse 6. The first reason is due to the nature of God. First, he says, God is Lord of all. The very word Lord implies ownership, control. But he's Lord of all as creator. So he's Lord of all, even of the non-believer. Though he may not acknowledge him, God has created him. He didn't just land here. He didn't come out from monkey. But God created him. And so really, God is Lord of him, for he has created man in his image, male and female, Genesis 1.27 says. The only thing is that they don't acknowledge or live for God. But he's still Lord. But he's also Lord as Savior of the believer, because we have been redeemed by the precious blood of Jesus Christ, 1 Peter 1.19 says. And we acknowledge the Lordship, the Saviorship of Christ. We acknowledge that He runs our life, He rules our life, that He calls the shots because He knows all about life. He knows what's best for life. He knows what you have to do to get the most out of life. You know, it's like you buy a a car from a dealer and it's a Toyota. Well, you don't go to the Chevy dealer to fix it. And if God has created man, and He's created woman, and He's created life, then He's the one that knows how to get the most out of life. And when we live apart from God and His scriptures, then we try to shortcut. We try to do things that we think are best and we end up messing our lives up. But notice also that God is the Avenger of all. Not only Lord of all, but He's Avenger of all. Simply because He is Lord of all. That means He has power and control. He's the one who will carry out justice for all. This reminds me of the scripture in Romans 12, verses 19 through 21, where Paul says, you know, vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will recompense. And he's quoting Deuteronomy uh, 32, 35. He says, don't take things into your own hands, you know, because you try to take vengeance, and the more vengeance you try to take, the less you're satisfied. Have you ever tried to get back at somebody? We have a phrase that says, I'm going to get back at you. I'm going to pay you back. Do you ever really pay anybody back? No. Do you even ever really get even? No. You know why? Because what has been done has been done and nothing can erase it. You never get even. You never get back. You only continue that thing more back and forth. But you never get even and you never get back. And so God tells us as Christians, you leave it in my hands, I know what's going on, I'll take care of things. That's trust and faith in God, that He's not only able to tell me how to live life, but He's able to take care of my life. Even in spite of the stupid mistakes I make, if I leave it in God's hands, He's able to take care of it in His time, in His way. The word vengeance comes from two words. The word one is, first one is ek, meaning out, and the other one, dikos, which means justice. Two times it's found, once here and then in Romans 13, 4, where he says that God uses the magistrates of this world to carry out justice, to execute justice. See, the only thing is that God is the judge of all men, able to bring about absolute and perfect justice. Why? Because he has no ability to make mistakes. And when we read the word vengeance regarding God, it's not a getting even, it's not a payback, it's just absolute righteous and perfect justice. You get exactly what you deserve without any motive of payback. You and I, we can't do that. That's why the law says eye for a knife, tooth for a tooth. That's not a limitation on God. That's a limitation on you and me. Because if somebody knocks your tooth out, you want to knock out ten. He says he knocks one, you get one. No more than that. Why? Because God knows we live for vengeance. Our heart is deceitful, wicked, evil. God is all-knowing. Nothing escapes him. 1 Corinthians 4-5 says that all the hidden things in darkness will be revealed and the motives of that day. You and I don't even know our motives at times. We say, well, I'm just doing it because I just love that brother. And then later on we find out we were doing it because something else. And sometimes we're so persuaded it's, it's the right motive. And then later on God reveals it and we can't believe it. And so Paul says to the Corinthians, you know, I don't even trust my own judgment. What are you doing trust judging me? And so the only thing I can look is at the action that people make and then time may reveal the motive. But I don't always know the motive. Not only that, God cannot have partiality. He can't respect you over me. He can't respect the the believer over the non-believer. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, but God forgives you, Christians. We have a basis for that forgiveness. That's not partiality, that's justice. The wrath of God fell on Christ instead of me. I didn't escape anything, I wasn't cut loose by God for nothing. It was justice. Jesus became sin for me. If Jesus wasn't there, I'd be gone. No partiality, perfect justice. But notice also that God is the one who will judge every person who is guilty for sexual sin. That's the context. Every person who falls short and is guilty of sexual sin God will judge. The categories are those that we find through verses 3 through 6. Verse 3, those who do not abstain from sexual sin. The second, Those who are not spirit-controlled, verse 4 and 5. They don't. They refuse to possess their body unto honor. The third, those who take vengeance or advantage and defraud their brother, in verse 6. They don't respect those boundaries. They will give an account to God who is ready to judge the living and the dead, 1 Peter 4, 5 says. He's a judge of all. Now, God can directly intervene and take your life We see it through scripture Let me give you some scriptures um, in Colossians well, Let's first go to Ephesians Go back a couple of books Ephesians 5, 5-7 through 7. He said, For this you know That no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man Who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of God or Christ let no one deceive you with empty words for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience therefore do not be partakers with them he's speaking to Christians he says the wrath of God comes upon them what's the implications if you're in that the wrath of God will come upon you he says it in a different way in Colossians just one book over to the right Colossians 3 5 through 7 therefore put to death your members which are on the earth fornication and cleanness, passion evil desires covetousness which is idolatry because of these things the wrath of God is com- coming upon the sons of disobedience in which you also once walked with them and lived in them there's the same application you remember Ananias and Sapphira in Acts 5 they lied to the Holy Spirit God struck them dead you remember Paul speaking to the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians eleven thirty about the communion table he says some of you are sick some of you have died because you have come to the Lord dishonorably God can directly intervene and take your life that's not a threat that's just a fact secondly God can also allow natural consequences to serve in your life as due justice he can just turn you over to your own sinfulness and allow the natural consequence to come to you This is exactly what he did in the book of Romans in chapter 1 You're familiar with that passage as he speaks about the heathen of the land, those who reject God In Romans chapter 1 verse 24 he says Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves Who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forevermore Amen for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature, lesbianism. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burning in lust for one another, men with men, committing what is shamefully and receiving to themselves, that's homosexuality. Now mark this well, receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. Natural consequences. We look to the homosexual lifestyle, we see the natural consequences of such a lifestyle. It is a joke and an insult to our mentality to say it's an alternate lifestyle. There's nothing alternate about it. It just doesn't fit. It just doesn't go along. And all you have to do is to look to the conditions and the consequences of those who practice such a lifestyle physically, emotionally, and everything else and you will see that it's not an alternate lifestyle but a perverted lifestyle. The scripture declares it very clearly. They receive to themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. Mark that well. And God can give you to that penalty and you get what you've sown. He can't do that. But thirdly, God is also able to judge both the believer and the non-believer at the end. Let you run your life. Think you've got it made. I've got away with it. But if you're a non-believer, you will stand before the white throne judgment of God to give an account for your life and to be cast into everlasting darkness and fire and judgment. If you're a believer, you will go before the bema seat of Christ. 1 Corinthians 3, 1 Corinthians 4. Uh, Romans 10.14 or 14.10 and also 2 Corinthians 5.10 And you will suffer loss. I will suffer loss. We will be judged. That which we've done good and evil in our bodies. And so this is the first reason that Paul gives for obedience to sexual purity. It is due to the nature of God. Vengeance belongs to Him. He will bring absolute justice. The second reason is found in verse 7. He says, For God did not call us to uncleanness, but in holiness. So the second reason is due to the nature of our call. He's called us to holiness. First, God didn't call us to uncleanness. This is a negative side. And again, the word uncleanness is, describes just the quality of being impure, be it physical, moral, or spiritual, or ethical. Anything that stands apart, the Word of God. Anything that opposes what God has prescribed. The word for there in verse 7 expresses purpose. It is inconsistent with God's nature and holiness. To call us to uncleanness. We can't be one with Him. God can't be one with sin. Habakkuk taught us that as we went through Him, remember about three weeks ago? He's of pure rights and to behold evil with condonance, with permission. And yet, sometimes we can rationalize and say, well, you know, I'm the exception. God will wink at my sin. You better not. He won't wink. You may wink, but He sees it all. You may rationalize and say, well, I couldn't help myself. He knows if you could. Or you couldn't. Because He knows everything. The express purpose and will of God is that we no longer be as we were in the past before coming to know Him. What were we? Very simply, we were unclean, living after the course of the world. We were children of disobedience, Ephesians 2.2 2 says. Every one of us, on whatever level, but you were a child of disobedience, running according to the course of the world, the prince and the power of the air. We were slaves of sin nature. And the work of the flesh, Romans 6.20 says that, and Galatians 5.19-21 enumerates the works of the flesh. Read them. Don't call them demons. They're called works of the flesh. Don't excuse your sin nature and your practice of sin. Call it for what it is. It's a work of the flesh, which you are able to resist in the power of the Spirit. For greater is He that's in you than he that's in the world. We were held captive by Satan's will, the God of this world. 2 Timothy 2.26 says that. But not anymore. For whoever the Son has set free, he is free indeed. I'm a son of God. I've been set free. I've been forgiven. I'm more than a conqueror, the Bible tells me. Then what did God call us to? He called us, listen, not to holiness at least not in this passage Where did he call us to? he called us in holiness big difference when he calls you to holiness you've got to walk towards it or that's what you're uh, you're, you're projecting towards but in holiness means that's where you abide Ephesians in Christ in the heavenlies that's a position that's your position in Christ in holiness contrast is very obvious again the word holiness is the same word as we found in verse 3 and in verse 4 there the word is translated sanctification it is the word set apart set apart for God in a constant state of sanctification as an ongoing process reinforced by the word in in there's a big difference being in the building And being at the building. There's a big difference being in the bed and on the bed. There's a big difference being in the water and beside the water. In. That means that is where you live. That is what is touching you. That is what's affecting you. God's will is that we be set apart from sexual immorality and fornication, verse 3. God's will is that we learn to acquire and discipline our bodies set apart to honor, verse 4. God's will is that we set ourselves apart from the sexual boundaries that are not open to us, verses 5 and 6. Very important. We're not to yield our members to unrighteousness anymore. Romans chapter 6, verse 17 through 19 says, "But unto holiness. why? Because we have the capacity." Galatians 5:24:25 says, "We have reckoned, crucified the works of the flesh, the passions of the flesh." Why? Because we're Christians. We walk in the spirit. Now, unless you think God is down on you for sex And that God's a big killjoy And He doesn't want you to enjoy sex um, Let me read you Proverbs chapter 5 Right after Psalms you have Proverbs God invented sex He created and design. He gave you all the equipment It all works But you're only to try it out when you get married And not before Money back guaranteed It works In chapter 5 of Proverbs verses 15 through 19, he says, Drink water from your own cisterns and running waters from your own wells. He's not talking about getting a drink of water. He's talking about you having sexual delight in your mate to enjoy yourself fully in the context of marriage. Should your fountains be dispersed abroad, streams of waters in the streets? In other words, should you have sex with somebody else apart from your wife or husband or vice versa? Let them be your only your own And not for strangers with you Let your fountain be blessed And rejoice with the wife of your youth As a loving dear and graceful doe Let her breast satisfy you at all times And always be enraptured with her love For why would you my son Be enraptured with an immoral woman And be embraced in the arms of a seductress Let me take you over song of Solomon Two books over to the right In chapter 4 by the way sex is not just mechanical sex includes romance man in Song of Solomon we're not gonna read it all but in chapter four Solomon here is just being romantic with his bride he says behold you are fair my love behold you are fair you have doves eyes like your veil (laughs) your hair is like a flock of goats going down to the mountain gilead your teeth are like a flock of of shorn sheep he goes down in verse three your lips are like strings strands of scarlet your mouth lovely your temples like pieces of pomegranate your neck and he goes on and and you know verse five he says your two breasts are like two fawns two twins gazelles and he moves on and you say well that's not very romantic well it was in those days <laughs> Okay, so don't try to use his lingo but use the lingo where you live And then she continues too in chapter 5, you know, and in chapter 5 verse 10 he says, My beloved is white and ruddy, chief among ten thousand, his head is like the finest gold, his locks are wavy, black as a raven, his eyes are like doves. Verse 13, his cheeks are like beds of spices, his lips are like lilies, his hands and his body and his legs, verse 15, and his mouth, verse 16. I mean, what are they doing? Man, they're complimenting one another, turning one another on. Romance. This is the manual for your honeymoon, Song of Solomon. God does not shirk back from sex as long as it's within marriage. But you start messing with it, as we've showed you, before marriage, and you're going to get yourself in a lot of trouble. And so, Paul's second reason is due to the nature of our call. We're called in holiness.
0: Pastor Xavier Rees, wrapping up our time for today with the second of three reasons the Apostle Paul gives us in 1 Thessalonians why we are to be sexually pure. And you can hear this message again, if you like, online anytime by selecting today's date at the radio listings link at calvarychapelpasadena.com. Now obviously, he has much more to share in this study that will bring you on our next broadcast. But in the meantime, we have CD copies of this message available as well. So if you'd like to order your own personal copy, we can send one to you for just $4 to help cover the costs. The title to ask for is Real and Lasting Consequences of Sexual Sin, once again available as a single CD. Request yours by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Again, that's Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And please include the call letters of this station with your correspondence. That would be a great help to us in our efforts to monitor the effectiveness of this radio ministry. Can't think of any reason to confine sexual intimacy to marriage? Paul the Apostle has three. Hear them all on the next Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese.